So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Gregan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast, and my name is Archie, and I'm sad. Leo's joining me here, and Leo, I'm sad because Super Rugby, it's over. Over for 2019. We witnessed maybe not quite the final we were hoping to see, Crusaders versus the Haguaras, and they take it 19 points to three. What did you think of this game, Leo? Look, it, you're right, it wasn't the... Uh, epic attack fest that we got the week before with the Hurricanes and Crusaders, which we spoke about last week. That was an excellent game, and it, it was lively all the way through. But as we know, these championship games tend to be a little bit more considered and and you, you're less willing to take risks, particularly early on. Uh, the Hags didn't have too much success with their attack. The, the flourishes were there, but they just didn't finish. Uh, it, it did become a bit of a grind, but the... It's classic Crusaders, isn't it? That they that they keep the pressure on. They mm. they hold out whatever the opposition can throw at them, and then they just take take their points. They take their opportunities. Well, three peat. There's a reason why they're there with three in a row. They're they're very clinical, and they are very very difficult to beat physically and mentally. Yeah, especially at home. And you're right, the three peat. Scotty Robinson. He dances again. Uh, lovely celebration from him. But it was the lowest scoring final in Super Rugby history. Uh, never before have there only been 22 points scored. And you're right, it was a defensive game. One try scored by the Crusaders. A little bit of magic uh, from a turnover off a kick in the, the back row of the Crusaders, well, with Cody Taylor and Whitelock in, involved as well, gets the try and gets them in front. And really after that happened... There wasn't much of a way for the Haguaras to come back. Moanga just kept putting some extra points on and got him away. Yeah, after 30, 30 hard minutes from the Haguaras trying to break through the Crusaders' line and only having a penalty to show for it, uh, they give up a try and and a penalty kick before the half. Mm. It's got to be pretty demoralising. Uh, you you know you, you've tried everything and and what have you got to show for it? The Crusaders just calmly going about their business. Uh, the second half was a bit of the same and. To be honest, I, I thought the, the penalty count seemed to come back into balance in the second half where the Haguaras had shown a bit of dominance in the scrum and Crusaders, particularly Joe Moody, had been sent packing. Uh, all of a sudden, the problems were with the tight head uh, on the on the, so the same side, really, but the Haguaras side were getting penalised. And I, I'm, not a, I'm not a scrum master dark arts, but um, it did seem a little bit like it was just trying to bring the penalty count back into parity. So speaking of that, Yako Piper took control of this one. I have already talked to you a bit about this, Leo. I thought maybe he left a few penalties unblown in this one, uh, a few times calling scrums for uh, accidental offside in which any other game in the season would have been penalties. Um, what, what do you think of his performance in this one? Yeah, look, he doesn't like to have a big impact uh, penalties do tend to be lower from Piper unless you're giving him a lot of lip, and then it can run a bit. But 
Uh, it does annoy me that the standards can change a bit in a championship game. It should be consistent throughout the season. It's the one competition they've set the standards. Players have been working to that all season. For there to be a change uh, late in, and then in the championship game doesn't feel fair. Uh, I think I think Paper missed the normal amount of things. There are a few flat passes from both sides that were allowed to play. They didn't really gain anyone an advantage. No one was breaking through the line off the back of it. So I can understand that. The two things that do annoy me, and really it's not isolated to this game, it's been all season, uh, managing and, and, and refereeing use of the gate. So not coming in the side. There was a lot of uh, times in mm. this game and throughout the season where players have been able to come in on an angle. Maybe the ball was already won but that doesn't mean you get a free cheap shot on the opposition flying in from the side. Yeah. Um, the this Crusaders certainly killed an opportunity for the Hags to pull a ball out of a, a, a held-up tackle that became a maul. The mm. had two Crusaders flop on it, and that that's the ball's still live, so I don't think that should be allowed to happen. Um, so between that and all the binding off the ruck to give the halfback a, a bit of a separation for his box kicks, if those guys don't have their shoulders in contact with the next player, the rest got to start calling balls out because it's it's getting them an advantage and they're not they're not earning it properly. They're not following the rules. They're they're just being sloppy about it. Mm, that's fair enough. And I think there were a couple of maybe slightly high tackles that he sort of just let play as well in this, which is very much against what's been going on in the rest of the season. Um, but in the end, it kind of all come down to the ref. The Haguaris had a couple of chances. Maroney knocked it on over the line more or less. Another pass just went awry uh, when he almost set up for another try in the second half. And I think probably the biggest disappointment was um, Diaz Manisha, the, the fly half for the Haguaras. His kicking really didn't do anything to help them in this game. Was uh, consistently kicking it straight to the opposition when they sort of looked like they were running out of ideas and really wasn't getting them in any sort of good territory that they were, had been enjoying in the past couple of weeks. And I was happy when they sort of subbed him off for Domingo Miotti, who, as you probably know, especially anyone who's listened to this podcast a bit, I'm a big fan of. Uh, and I think that probably just didn't come soon enough because he did seem to spark a few extra things, a few grubbers behind the line and things. He, yeah, he did have a couple of good kicks. Uh, unfortunately, one of them was a bit heavy and um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was... Maroney Might have been again. Maroney again was... when you like head first into the barriers. Which why aren't they setting those things back further? Yeah. But uh, that was a really good effort. But it did seem a bit like Miotti was just, you know, fifteen minutes of throwing double and triple cutout passes as well. I, I didn't actually like his effort in this game. I thought it, he came on and he seemed to be suffering from that, that, you know, the pressure of the moment. He didn't really come in and settle and build. He had a couple of good opportunities. I thought he, I thought he threw a lot of ball away, and it looked like the Waratahs when they, when they were just trying to force the issue, mm. throwing the ball as wide and hard as possible early. And I don't think it really added anything. Fair enough. I still, I still think he created more opportunities than Benicia, especially with a couple of like that guy you're talking about. He put another one down the left hand side for Moyujano, who then got them a line out, sort of five meters out, but. There are a few times that then the Haguaris just couldn't quite penetrate that Crusaders defence and hats off to what they've been doing there. And they stood up all game and just did not give the Haguaris a centimetre of room and really just stifled them in all their attack. And they, they definitely had a bit of a, a game plan for certain players. So Creevy had almost no impact turning over the ball yeah. in this game. 
Matera was much less visible. He, he put in his own bomb and chased it, and and but but really compared to what we usually see, they they definitely took him like put put a lot of pressure on him when he was potentially receiving the ball. The center pairing, which we highlighted, was going to be a big um, big asset for the Haguaras, particularly with the improvised center pairing of the Crusaders. They they really struggled to penetrate. And um, Buffelli very quiet in this game too. A couple of moments, but but wasn't really able to inject himself in any space. So um, again, just clinical. The way the Crusaders prepare, it's it's probably the six days leading up to the game as much as the game day. Those guys are just ready. They have plans. They execute. And if you if you're coming in with Plan A as the opposition, you need Plan B, C, and D because you got to bring something that they're not ready for. Yeah. And you've still got. And even then, you've got to execute it perfectly. Yeah. And. To the credit, maybe, of the Hags, but um, I think the fact that they didn't have Crotty really actually stopped the Crusaders' backs doing a whole lot in this game. They weren't really that potent on attack. It was all through the forwards. Um, They really are the people that stood up and really won them this game. Uh, I think we hardly saw Severis touch the ball in this, who's been a consistent excitement machine. Havili was strong in defence, but not a huge amount in attack as well. But in the end, Crusaders take it for the third year in a row, and you got it. You can't argue with the fact that they deserve that just as much as they have the last two. Yeah, exactly. And and they had their own share of disruption between Enor coming in and then Mitchell Dunshee, who I thought had a pretty good game. Yeah. It was you know one of few starts for him this season because uh, obviously uh, Barrett and Whitelock have been there yeah. most of the season, and and he's come in and, and filled in. Just as they would have needed him, yeah. so there wasn't. They didn't really lose a beat there. Uh, so just an impressive organisation, impressive mm-hmm. outfit, uh, justified winners this year. Yeah, and we'll also, even though as you said, Leo, they did shut down Pablo Matera for a lot of this game, still managed to do enough to win Player of the Game um, in the for this one. So giving it to the opposition just to recognise maybe how much territory, how much ball they had, um, and how involved he got himself into the game unfortunately without much result but that's super rugby done for 2019 and it'll be a whole nother year next year with a whole lot of all blacks leaving the crusaders whole lot of people departing from lots of teams after the world cup but it's the rugby championship we've got to focus on now and we finally have a wallaby squad to talk about yeah we do and there's some surprising omissions i guess not so much the selections we, we know there's a wealth of of players who have put their hand up this season but there's definitely some key omissions in this squad. I, I wonder if this is a trip, trip to South Africa is being treated as a, a deep end opportunity for some of these guys. It, it seems very weird for someone, say, like Nick Phipps, to be left out. And as much as I'm not a fan of his, he's been the backup option all the way through the last three years since the last World Cup. For him not to be there at the expense of... Oh, sorry, for him to be the expense of Nick White... Mm. Um, and Joe Powell, who was the third string sometimes last year, I wonder if this is a, you know, Joe Powell, you, you played well this year, you're back up, but we're bringing Nick White because we want to see him perform. Mm. If he doesn't perform, maybe he doesn't get another chance. Yeah, I guess that's what we sort of need to hammer down a little bit in here. Who are the guys they've selected? And you're right, there are some shock selections, whether that's on the back of having a board of selectors rather than just checker. And so... You do have Scott Johnson and you have Michael O'Connor making some decisions and pushing Checker away maybe from his normal sort of picks. Maybe that's how Phipps misses out. 
but definitely some selections I think they are hopefully bringing in to actually give them some game time. Yes, it's a tough task going to Johannesburg, South Africa. It's going to be a hard game, but you want to see how these guys are going to perform at this international standard. So, look, you've probably the names that I can pick straight away that they want to trial a little bit. Jordan Ewellacy coming back into the squad has Izzy back up to full fitness, ready to go for international rugby. People like Luke Jones, Rob Valentini uh, getting their first sort of taste. Well, Luke Jones second, but it's been a while. And then also people like Liam Wright as well um, coming into that squad. I hope that they're willing to give them some quality game time in this to actually see how they go at this level. And and a guy like Liam Wright particularly, like he, he I think he was about the squad last year. He might have gone on tour just as a, as a as a passenger more than a squad member. Yeah, development. But he has had a great, strong finish to the end of the season, as has Valentini. Um, Nicerani's been really strong. We knew he was going to get included from this year once he was eligible. Yeah, Th- you're right. Those guys, as much as it's a deep end, you got to get them in now because if you go and you just play the the, the starting lineup, you think you're going to pick for the World Cup in in these early games. If things aren't quite right, you're really leaving it too late to to make a me- adjustment. So put in a bit of a mix of guys and and see who stands up. There, a lot of them are bringing some good form from Super Rugby. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it does baffle me a bit. The hookers particularly. Oh, I'm not happy. I, I think this is pure checker uh, with these hooker selections. Falau Fainga for mine is the only one that has, you know, no one would argue he, he deserves to be there. But Ulysses, we haven't seen much of him. So maybe this is a, you know, opportunity to see where he's at, like you said. Why is Tolu Latu there? Why, like, Tolu Latu is not a bad player. But I just do not think he's deserving of this third spot mm. on this tour. He may be more of an incumbent than others, but you know how much of a slap in the face to Damien Fitzpatrick or Alex Murphy or even Anaru Rangi. Like those three guys mm. have put in for their super side all year, just like Falau Fainga. And to be honest, I think they've all been pretty good, even in Super Rugby sides that weren't playing well. All of those guys have given their heart and soul to their team this year. And what reward do they get? They see Tolu Latu, who's had um, sort of some, you know, left out of the Waratahs at times for disciplinary things. And Ulysses, who's been injured for like two years. And then, yeah, you're right. Ulysses, who played, I think, two games, only one starting for the Rebels. Yeah. Maybe got off the bench. I I just don't get it. I I find it frustrating because... I just feel like hard work is is not being rewarded. And as much as those three guys, I said, Alex Murphy's young. Um, I'm sure he'll get his chance. Damien Fitzpatrick and Anna Rangi, they're not flashy players. They're not going to be the poster boys for the Wallabies. Mm-hmm. But bloody hell do they put in some effort. And I just feel like they've, they've been written off no matter what they do. Mm-hmm. Certainly probably is the case with Damien Fitzpatrick. Never really gets to get in that conversation, despite... Well, having something that I think the Wallabies miss a lot of the time, and that's having the most accurate line-out throwing in all of Australia, if not all of Super Rugby, I believe he ended up with. Um, And also one of the highest tackle counts. I think he was highest of all hookers, maybe top five total tackles, only behind Michael Hooper in his own team. Yeah. So if the guys who are doing this stuff for their sides week in, week out can't break in... I don't understand what you're getting instead from Tolu Latu 
I understand there's a lot of there's a lot of hype around Jordan Ulysses, a, a very talented player, but mm. he's going to have a lot of potential and like a lot of time in future to realize his potential. Are we are you forcing the issue trying to push him through this year in the World Cup when he's had this rough run in? I I think there's other guys who've earned it and and deserved the chance. Obviously, there must be a feeling among selectors that his physical attributes as well as his potential outweigh that of anything anyone else is offering at the moment, uh, which, look, is a bit unfortunate for some of his competitors, but a great opportunity for him if he does get on the field here. Uh, I think we suspect that it will be an entire Brumbies front row starting at the moment, um, likely a, a CO Fainga Alatoa front row because they'd, they'd want to make sure that combination is really going well and they're going to be coming up against a tough Springboks uh, front row and scrum. Uh, the second row is no nonsense, really. Everyone there has had that test experience. Uh, we're expecting Rodder and Arnold, I believe, to get the start. And then it comes to that back row and that's where the questions uh, come up. And if, if people like Luke Jones is going to get his, his chance to make an impact in at number six despite not finishing the Super Rugby season well or whether it's going to be down to the youngster, Valentini, uh, after a strong finish with the Brumbies. Yeah, and it could go either way. And to be honest, I'd, I think the the opportunity in this game is for us to to give them all a bit of a run, whether it's as straightforward as a first half, second half split. I, I don't know if... I, you never want to lose a game. You're never going to play with, with losing is okay in my mind. But, mm. but you've got to give these guys a decent chance. So what I'd be wondering is... Maybe maybe it's a, a Luke Jones, Nicerani, Hooper starting back row, and then second half pretty pretty early on. Depending how gassed the guys are, maybe Luke Jones is coming out for Valentini or vice versa. Maybe Hooper does actually step out at some point. Liam yeah. Wright gets a go. Yeah, I'd love uh, to see that. and and then you can still have Lucan uh, there as your second row coverage should you need it. But again, can can step in for Nicerani too and. That gives all those guys opportunity. The only one who, who is a back row that's traveling that wouldn't get a run then uh, would be Jack Dempsey. And, yeah, I, I think I'd be happy with that. I think, you know, you've got to have one extra guy for injury coverage in, in the um, in the practice squad. So And that, we know that, what Jack Dempsey is at the moment. He's, he's shown what he that's can right. do at international level. So a bit less. Valentini needs to step up. He, he missed out on his opportunities through injury. Liam Wright's been that development player, definitely stepping up and can he can he handle international mm. matches nice around you've seen him be an absolute bus for the for the brumbies he's been carrying the ball over and over and over and for the rebels that, this year energy. as well yeah oh sorry yeah sorry the rebels um so all that sort of thing mm. we, we want to see if that converts to international rugby jack dempsey's had a bit of a chance i'm sure he's going to be in and around the squad i'm less interested in seeing him mm. this week at this first match against the Springboks. And going to the backs, the name that everyone was sort of surprised to see, but no one, I think, more deserving. Christian Laliofano makes the squad travelling in lieu of Quade Cooper. So only Foley and Laliofano really as your out-and-out number 10s uh, for this team. I mean, you do have Tamua you there as well. But I really hope that Laliofano gets his chance and I hope that Foley's there more as an injury coverage should something happen. And because Lelia Farm is not a guy you're going to put on the bench for this. He needs a bit of time 
in 10 and whether you put him, pair him with Will Genny to see how those two work together if he's a, an actual consideration for you come World Cup time later this year. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the, on, the only thing maybe like you look, you look at the, the fact they're playing the Springboks, big, big opposition. Is Leliafano more of a risk uh, as your 10 because they're just going to run their Esterhausens or their... More than you a know, risk massive... Bernard Foley? Well, no, that's where I'm getting to. I don't yeah. think that's... That's not the difference between He's those two players. It's not... He can defend well and take yeah, down That's players. where I'm going. Yeah. So, so we're in a violent agreement. That okay. Leliafano has been there <laughs> okay. around the knees and ankles of those big guys all season. Mm. So I think, that's a, I think that's a straw man argument. I don't think it's real. You put him in, you don't lose anything in defense. Potentially, you're actually in a better position. I don't think Foley's a bad defender, but I don't think um, he's better than Leilefano. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you need to see if that if, if Leilefano can step up to the international uh, scene and is he is he uh, able to mesh with Genia well. Yeah. Uh, we know that he'll, he'll be able to put the ball in Kurudrani's chest plenty if he... Uh, we assume that'll be a Marika and uh, sorry, Marika, a um, Samu Karevi and and um, Kurudrani center pairing because yeah, that's surely, the ideal. Surely. But we've they had injuries last year, which meant that we never quite got to see that. Yeah, that that's that's what I'm expecting. Again, yeah. hopefully, because I don't think you'd carry him on the bench if you let's get Samu and TK in there. Um, I would expect. This is why I, I think gets... it's going to be Dane Hallett. Petty at fullback. You reckon? I, I, as opposed to Beal or Banks. Now, I kind of want to see Banks, uh, and I don't know if you'd carry him on the bench. Mm-hmm. I would carry Beal on the bench because he's got that utility factor, um, and because your fullback, your fullback position is wide open with Falau as the incumbent no longer in the picture. Dana Hallett Petty was there last year. Curly Beal was there the year before when Hallett Petty was injured. Who's performed better? I, I I would like to see Dane Hellepetty. Fair enough, and I I have a hunch that it's going to be Beal. I just have a hunch that that's where they're aiming with with this um, year. Well, Checker is the coach, so exactly. it's almost always going to be Beal, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. If it can be Beal, it usually is Beal. If we got Checker in mind, and he and he has played well at fullback this year. Ending the year, I don't know whether who you would say ended in better form between Beal and Dane Hellepetty. They both had sort of mediocre ends to 2019 Super Rugby. But then we get to the wings and it gets even more complicated because are you going to see Dane Haylett better than take a wing spot? Are you going to give Maddox that chance despite ending quite poorly in Super Rugby? He's been taken over. Is this to give him that chance the same way uh, they're giving some of these blind sides a bit of a chance to see what they do at international level? Probably, you like, there are all the wingers you're looking at. They're all from the Rebels, really, unless you count AAC as a winger. So you've got Hodge, Halepetti, Korobiti, and Maddox. All Rebels, all have a good connection with Genia. I would think Maddox and Korobiti. Mm. Hodge, if I, if I had Dane Halepetti at fullback, I'd probably have Beal on the bench, and I'd have a two-backs bench, so I probably wouldn't have Hodge. But potentially, if Beal's at fullback, I don't know if I'd carry Dane Halepetti. I think Hodge is the more utility player that you can put yeah. on your bench yeah. um, to give to give uh, Korobiti and Maddox a start, see how they fare. I think I think Matt Tamua doesn't play in this in this game, um, and I think Tom Banks probably doesn't play, and I think Adam Ashley Cooper probably doesn't play. Yeah, interesting. I think and Joe Powell. Yeah, Nick White's 
gone there for a reason and it's and it's a reason that they're gonna test him out um coming back and see whether this hype that's been generated over in europe with him plays out well on the international stage so so that's that's not too worrying for me i albeit i prefer dan Petty if beal started I think Dana Petty doesn't feature. Mm. I think Hodge is your most pliable reserve, but that's assuming you have a six-two split. And the other the other version of it would be you have a five-three, in which case Tamua probably does get a chance on the bench and uh, would still carry Hodge as that outside backs utility. Yeah, but as we said, we'd like to see the seven-two uh, split on the bench. Seven-two. Six-two. Six-two. Hell so, yeah. That'd be lovely. Free player. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. And Jack Dempsey does get a run. There we go. They squeeze all the back rows on. We know how much Tekka loves a number just six. Stack so em. just, just put them all em. together. Yeah. That's the way to do it. We'll probably dive in a little bit deeper once we see a little bit more of what's going on, especially with these other teams. Uh, the All Blacks squad has been announced. And the biggest thing, I think, when we've looked through it, Leo, is the the amount of utilities they have in their squad are minimal. They maybe have one utility back, one utility forward sort of thing, people that cover multiple positions, but more or less they're all sort of specialised players. The only question that's come up recently, because Crotty was left out of that team because he has got that fractured thumb, and also Sonny Bill Williams was named, but apparently is now under an injury cloud, whether he will be replaced in that and whether we will see the return of someone like Ma Nonu into that squad, which will be interesting and what a lot of people, especially in Auckland, are calling for. Yeah, and I wouldn't be unhappy to see that. I think he's put in a pretty good shift for the Auckland Blues this year. Your point about the... Yeah, very true. Um, Your point about the utilities just, just reinforces what I think what should be your underlying strategy with managing your players, particularly when you're developing these players, you you can't develop... um, Surely you shouldn't be trying to develop a utility player. If you... You should be saying to this player, each player, you know, where do you want to play? This is... These seem to be your skills. Your strengths are here. Your your weaknesses are there. We work on this. You try and get these guys to be specialists. If you get utility value out of them as well, great. But uh, you want to have... You know, when you're picking your 15, if you're picking these guys and they're recognized as the best lock in the world, the best tight head in the world, the best inside center in the world, the best fullback in the world, that's, that's, it's been a long time since the Wallabies have had a whole lot of guys like that because we seem to have all these utilities in the mix. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think, I think there's going to be a bit of a swing in Australian mentality over the next couple of years towards that factor and go away from this concept that utility is key and it's not just um, it's not just to have someone who can cover multiple positions but to be the best at one position exactly as you say i don't know where it's come from like the the love of the utility like we've probably had some very talented ones in the past and when there's been a bad injury either in the the leading lead up during a tour or or in a game itself, and, and we've been able to rally and, and piece together, and people are like, oh, wow, that's so valuable. But I think it's a bit of a false economy because how often does that happen? You're valuing utility, um, the utility factor in starting players so highly, and you, you feel like you've got all these options covered if something happens, 
it doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Like the guys aren't having such a bad game that you that you have to yank them and they they're very rarely getting you know injured and taken off the field. To be honest, you probably more likely get concussions and that could happen to anyone. So yeah. trying to prepare for that, you've only got uh, eight on the bench. It's it's kind of pointless. I, I just want to see specialists and then guys like Hodge who demonstrated they can play a lot of positions. They're they're valuable on your bench. Tell you where I think it came from. It came from a few years ago where we were struggling for a fly half and we were struggling to look for where this next 10 was going to come from. And it led to a lot of people being forced to try and play that number 10 role. You go back and you think about, look, that's what Hodge sort of got pushed into. Go back even further, James O'Connor got pushed into that sort of role as well. And all these people got pushed into 10 away from their normal position. Someone else took their normal position. And when that didn't work, they go okay, well, he's all right at 10, maybe we'll try him at 12, or in Hodge's case, let's push him out to 13. And then these people were just floating back and forth, and they never settled again on another position. Yeah, that that's definitely happened to some of these players, and that's the fault of the, the management system, the coaching. Like, you, you, you need to recognize that this person on paper is a particular position. That's where their yeah. strengths lie. You need to give them as much time as possible in that position Preferably, if you can get it in the combination with the other guy, so if it's the centers or if it's you know full um, mm. half back and and fly half back rowers, whatever it is, I, there's been so much chopping and changing. I love of having a six who can play a lock uh, or an eight even who can who can go to lock. Like Kieran Reed isn't going into lock even though he probably could yeah. all the time, and then they're not worried about um, sixes that can be fours and fives. It's or you know tight heads that can be loose heads. They're picking the best, and they, you know, you've got some of the best in their positions in the All Blacks, which is always the comparison for us, and that's what we should be targeting, I think. So I hope that is the change that's coming with this selection panel because I don't think Checker has that completely um, as his as his priority. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, the Wallabies that squad has left, and they are over in Johannesburg already, which is good. They're acclimatizing. They're spending some time over there. I'm sure we'll get a few more updates of where people are running in training and what the suspicion of what squad we will see. And we'll also get a bit more of an idea of what's happening with the Springboks at the moment. Uh, We do know that Sia Khaleesi is out of this first game, at least, with injury. So Springboks won't have their normal captain, their normal number six. And we'll get to see a bit of a different look to a lot of these guys. I think whether they go back and bring back their their overseas sort of contingent with people like Faf de Klerk, Willie LaRue and uh, Cheshire Colby um, coming back into those back lines. And, um, so it'll be interesting to see what this Springboks team does look like that we're going to have to come up against. Um, but that can sort of wait, I think, at the moment. We're more interested to see what changes we see in Wallabies camp. Um, but that's probably all we need to chat about, really, Leah. Yeah, there's uh, a couple of weeks now before we get that first test. Uh, very much looking forward to it. Hopefully those guys who are going to get their shot can can make the most of it. I want to see, you know, I, don't, I haven't seen much of Nick White in the last few years, but if he gets out there and plays well, then, you know, good, good work to the selection panel for bringing him in and, and giving him that opportunity. I feel a little bit bad for some of the other guys we've been hyping along the way, but... It's, it's a World Cup year. You've got to pick your best. It's not the time to pick guys who, who've got a big future if they're not giving you the best value this year. Exactly. Sorry, boys. Sorry, boys. Keep a close eye on things, staying around the squad, but it's not going to be your year. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. 
Um, thankfully, in this week, we haven't had much other news or controversy going around. Falau's been surprisingly quiet for a week, and that's a bit of a change. I don't know what's going on there. Um, I almost feel like the rugby world's a bit empty during the weekdays with none of this sort of Christian lobby, with none of this sort of lawsuit against Rugby Australia coming up. But totally happy not to have to report on that this week at least. Thanks again for tuning in. Just a nice short one for you guys. We'll obviously back before you know it. But in the meantime, catch up with everything that's happening on Facebook, on Instagram at Running Rugby Podcast, all on Twitter at The Running Rugby Pod. Uh, otherwise, you're obviously downloading here. Make sure you keep downloading. Press that little subscribe button. Get every episode down onto your mobile device or wherever you're listening to us. Thanks for stopping by from Leo and myself. Keep on running. Run. What do you reckon? I think Toby's not going to come, so I think we should just do it. Okay.